everyone, and welcome to Decolonizing the Blockchain, where we discuss all topics that include blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. My name is Sika, and I'm talking to you from the balmy beaches of Boston. Now, let me explain what we're doing here. Um, Decolonizing the blockchain is just about breaking down key ideas, concepts, and current news that is more accessible. We know that there are lots of podcasts out there about blockchain, but we have people in our um, sphere of influence or our, our orbit and in our circles that always ask us questions about Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto. And we got bitten by the, the crypto bug. And so we are making this for folks out there that don't even understand those folks who are talking about Bitcoin. So all the, the pundits out there that have been talking about Bitcoin, um, crypto, and, and blockchain in general, it, it, some folks still think it's inaccessible. So we're trying to bring Bitcoin and blockchain to folks so that it's more accessible, it's more interesting, more engaging, and less in the weeds. So if you're not a stock trader, or you don't understand currency markets, or you don't understand the computer science behind blockchain, this is the perfect place for you. We're going to talk about it and break it down and hopefully decolonize it for you so that you are able to actually take part in this huge revolution that's happening. So with that said, I would like to welcome Maoli, our resident Bitcoin evangelist and blockchain expert. Um, Maoli has a lot of experience with blockchain in general and Bitcoin specifically because he actually built two Bitcoin exchanges on the continent of Africa. Um, and so with that said, Molly, I'm going to take it away by asking you, asking you to take it away by ask, posing these two questions to you. Why Bitcoin? Why crypto? Thank you, Sika. And the question of why Bitcoin, uh, which leads directly to why crypto can be uh, answered directly by um, an encrypted message that was hidden in the first uh, Bitcoin transaction block. And that message reads, uh, it's actually uh, a newspaper title from a, a, a popular newspaper in England. And it reads, um, the Times, uh, March, no, 3rd January 2009. I was reading the British way. Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. And this uh, message was really just about uh, money printing and how it doesn't trickle down. They print money and give it to their friends on the stock market and the average person never really benefits. So Bitcoin was designed specifically to be the opposite of that. So for example, there's a maximum amount of Bitcoins that would ever exist, 21 million Bitcoins, and that's it. Unlike um, central banks around the world that print money to fund wars and their own politicians and their friends in uh, the stock market. So Bitcoin is just about evening out the playing field so it's more fair for everybody so yeah so i really think it's really interesting a few things that you said there so um bitcoin i think if we want to kind of break it down a little bit more was originally supposed to be just a peer-to-peer -peer currency digital currency where people could transact online and be able to actually um transfer money back and forth with their peers. So it wasn't really supposed to be this thing that it is now, which is a really hot, 
digital asset that seems to threaten a lot of people, including um, central banks. Um, in terms of, you know, the printing money and the deflation, I think you get at a really good concept that a lot of the speculators, because we're talking to you now, it's May 24th, 2021. Last week, we just experienced another crash in the Bitcoin market. And um, this week, we're seeing it rally right back up. And it's due to a number of factors, including um, a regulatory crackdown in China over um, Bitcoin mining. And then also Elon Musk made a tweet about the environmental hazard yep. that um, crypto mining actually does. And we have our thoughts on yeah. that, but we will save that for another episode. What we want to talk Definitely. about is this idea of inflation, which was really something that the original founders or the original people who conceptualized the, the concept of blockchain, which actually translated into Bitcoin, as Molly um, mentioned earlier. And so what we want to really get at is this idea of the normal currency, the papal currency that we, we handle gets inflated all the time because of how central banks treat them. And so when Maoli created, read that quote about um, the chancellor on the brink of the second bailout in 2019, if we all remember 2019, we were in the middle of the of the the last no, financial this is crisis. 2009, so right after 2008. Sorry. Even worse. Yeah. Even worse. Thank you for that correction. So, so that was the Great Recession right there. So, I mean, like, everyone remembers what that was like. Everyone was losing their job left and right. And people, we had all these toxic assets out there. And um, bankers just were creating a lot of of basically, how would I say it? Assets that subprime. had no, subprime assets that had absolutely no value at all. And so- Below standard. So, yes. And so what we have now is, you know, folks proposing something else that would, number one, um, help stop this inflation that was happening where our currencies are being devalued um, but then we would also have a way for us to transact online. So in another episode, we'll get a little bit deeper into why was Bitcoin formed? What, were, what was the original thinking around it? Um, in general, um, the folks that came up with the concept of Bitcoin were economists and computer scientists. Um, and they were part of a mailing list called the cypherpunk mailing list. But we won't get into that today. Um, we just want to kind of kind of give you the the very basics here. So with that said, Molly, any other final departing thoughts before we close this one out? Um, yeah. So what you shared about the Great Recession, everybody losing their money was real. Unfortunately, um, what was also real was that a lot of people lost their money while the banks were getting bailed out. And looking back now, what happened was banks were given like billions of dollars and they turned around and used the money to give bonuses to their board and their CEOs to buy yacht. They all became billionaires and everybody still lost their money. That's how cruel the system was. Yep. 
So yep. we'll get, so we'll into, get into more of, more of the foundational, the foundational concept of Bitcoin, of, Bitcoin, of, cryptocurrency, of cryptocurrency and blockchain in general, general in another episode. But thank you for, joining, thank you for joining us on our first on episode, our first episode of, decolonizing of Decolonizing the Blockchain. The blockchain. We hope we have we hope brought you have one brought step closer to understanding this crazy thing called crypto market, which is almost like the wild west of the digital markets right now. My name is Sika. And this is Mauli. And we wish you a great day and thanks for joining us. Hello, my name is Sika and welcome to Decolonizing the Blockchain where we discuss topics that include blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. I am talking to you guys from the balmy beaches of Boston. And so with that said, let's talk about what decolonizing the blockchain is all about. Um, What it is, is that we are just breaking down some key concepts that have to do with Bitcoin, crypto, and blockchain, and making them more accessible to folks who just really don't have the background and haven't been part of the conversations that seem to be happening. And if you are interested in Bitcoin or in any of the cryptocurrencies and want to understand it before you join in and join the craze, then you have come to the right place. We are here and we are trying to just provide education and give people enough knowledge to make informed decisions if they choose to invest in crypto markets. With that said, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Maoli, um, who is our resident Bitcoin expert. He has owned and operated two Bitcoin exchanges and is very knowledgeable on the ins and outs of both Bitcoin and blockchain. And he knows a lot about cryptocurrency in general. So with that said, Maoli, let's jump into it today. We're going to talk today about foundational concepts um, when it comes to blockchain. So with that said, um, Maoli, take it away. What are you going to teach us today? How are you going to edify us? All right. So I think one of the things we're wondering about is, uh, or we get a lot of questions about, is the difference between crypto, Bitcoin, and blockchain and how they're related. Um, So I, I think the easier way to understand it is the blockchain is just a database but the key difference here is that it's on everybody's computer or the miners computer so it makes it censorship resistant as in no government in the world can shut it down because even if you shut down all the china people we still have the bitcoin database in america even if you shut it down even if the american government shuts down america we got it in the middle east you can never kill it and so that's the cool thing about the blockchain it came first and it was just a research technology Bitcoin was the first um, coin to use the blockchain and demonstrate its usefulness for solving the problem of inflation. Um, And then after Bitcoin came what we now call crypto, which is the other thousand plus coins that all use one form or the other of the blockchain. But the blockchain uh, technology or research is what, uh, what made all of this crypto possible. Thanks for that. So I want to kind of actually break down a concept that you brought um, out and just break it down a little bit further. So you mentioned earlier that 
blockchain is a type of database. And I want to kind of give folks a little bit more information to grab onto. So the way that blockchain is different from the databases that we use now in terms of our computers is that number one, blockchain is structured different than a traditional database. The way a traditional database actually works is that it's everything is stored in a table. Blockchain was revolutionary in the sense that it was a different type of database where you could think of it as a distributed ledger. What the blockchain itself um, was, was a type of actual um, database where information was stored in a, a finite amount of of data. So maybe you had, I think the original application of blockchain was Bitcoin and it only had seven megabits of data within each chain. And so with that said, you would store that data within the seven megabits, but then whenever there was an update to the actual database, it would not, it would not create another table. What it would do is it would create another chain of information within the next seven megabits. And those chains of information were chained together. And hence, that's why it's called a blockchain because the information was stored in blocks that were, um, that were connected in, an infinite, in a, a, a finite amount of data. And that data was chained to each other and it cannot be actually changed. So once you create, a, once a data point is created within the actual blockchain database, it cannot be altered in any way. And that was revolutionary in itself because it meant that once information was actually recorded in that type of database, it could not be changed. And the way databases um, actually work today or the databases that we know before then, they, they, they didn't have that capability. So I wanted to make sure we understood the, the idea of why it's called a blockchain. It's those two key concepts, the actual storing of data within the block and then the fact that the data is chained together and it cannot be changed once it's actually been created. Anything else that's, to add there? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, so that's irreversibility of transactions right there. Um, and that's really cool because it also brings in the idea of uh, non-bias. Um, the blockchain is not going to reject your transaction because you're Muslim and they don't like you. Uh, it's not going to reject your transaction because you're from Russia and Americans fear Russians. No. Um, it's irreversible. Once the transaction is sent, end of story. And it's anonymous. So it just works. It's basically democratic, like truly democratic globally. So I think you've hit on another subject that we should probably talk about in another episode. We've given you a lot to think about in this episode, and we thank you for joining us at Decolonizing the Blockchain. My name is Sika. And this is Maoli. And we thank you for spending these last eight minutes with us, and we wish you a great day. And welcome to Decolonizing the Blockchain, where we discuss topics that include blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. I am talking to you guys from the balmy beaches of Boston. And so with that said, let's talk about what decolonizing the blockchain is all about. Um, what it is, is that we are just 
breaking down some key concepts that have to do with Bitcoin, crypto, and blockchain and making them more accessible to folks who just really don't have the background and haven't been part of the conversations that seem to be happening. And if you are interested in Bitcoin or in any of the cryptocurrencies and want to understand it before you join in and join the craze, then you have come to the right place. We are here and we are trying to just provide education and give people enough knowledge to make informed decisions if they choose to invest in crypto markets. With that said, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Maoli, um, who is our resident Bitcoin expert. He has owned and operated two Bitcoin exchanges and is very knowledgeable on the in and outs of both Bitcoin and blockchain. And he knows a lot about cryptocurrency in general. So with that said, Maoli, let's jump into it today. We're going to talk today about foundational concepts um, when it comes to blockchain. So with that said, um, Maoli, take it away. What are you going to teach us today? How are you going to edify us? All right. <clears throat> so I think one of the things we're wondering about is, uh, or we get a lot of questions about, is the difference between crypto, Bitcoin, and blockchain and how they're related. Um, so I, I think the easier way to understand it is the blockchain is just a database but the key difference here is that it's on everybody's computer or the miners computer so it makes it censorship resistant as in no government in the world can shut it down because even if you shut on all the china people we still have the bitcoin database in america even if you shut it down, even if the american government shuts down america we got it in the middle east you can never kill it and so that's the cool thing about the blockchain it came first and it was just a research technology Bitcoin was the first um, coin to use the blockchain and demonstrate its usefulness for solving the problem of inf inflation. Um, and then after Bitcoin came what we now call crypto, which is the other thousand plus coins that all use one form or the other of the blockchain. But the blockchain uh, technology or research is what, uh, what made all of this crypto possible. Thanks for that. So I want to kind of actually break down a concept that you brought um, out and just break it down a little bit further. So you mentioned earlier that blockchain is a type of database, and I want to kind of give folks a little bit more information to grab onto. So the way that blockchain is different from the databases that we use now in terms of our computers is that, number one, blockchain is structured different than a traditional database. The way a traditional database actually works is that it's everything is stored in a table. Blockchain was revolutionary in the sense that it was a different type of database where you could think of it as a distributed ledger. What the blockchain itself um, was was a type of actual um, database where information was stored in a, a finite amount of of data. So maybe you had, I think the original application of blockchain was Bitcoin and it only had seven megabits of data within each chain. And so with that said, you would store that data within the seven megabits, but then whenever there was an update to the actual database, it would not, it would not create another table. What it would do is it would create another chain of information within the next seven megabits. And those chains of information were chained together. And hence, that's why it's called a blockchain because the information was stored in blocks 
that were um that were connected in an infinite in a, a, a finite amount of data and that data was chained to each other and it cannot be actually changed so once you create a once a data point is created within the actual blockchain database it cannot be altered in any way and that was revolutionary in itself because it meant that once information was actually recorded in that type of database it could not be changed and the way databases um, actually work today, or the databases that we know before then, they 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 didn't have that capability. So I wanted to make sure we understood the the idea of why it's called a blockchain. It's those two key concepts: the actual storing of data within the block, and then the fact that the data is chained together and it cannot be changed once it's actually been created. Anything else to add there? Uh, yeah, that's uh, so that's irreversibility of transactions right there. Um, and that's really cool because it also brings in the idea of uh, non-bias. Um, the blockchain is not going to reject your transaction because you're Muslim and they don't like you. Uh, it's not going to reject your transaction because you're from Russia and Americans fear Russians. No, um, it's irreversible. Once the transaction is sent, end of story. And it's anonymous, so it just works. It's basically democratic, like truly democratic globally so i think you've hit on another subject that we should probably talk about in another episode we've given you a lot to think about in this episode and we thank you for joining us at decolonizing the blockchain my name is sika and this is maoli and we thank you for spending these last eight minutes with us and we wish you a great day Welcome to Decolonizing the Blockchain, where we discuss all things blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency related. My name is Sika, and I am talking to you from the East Coast. I'm not even going to tell you what city I am in today because it's I just don't want to. <laughs> but to all of you guys who are not familiar with who we are, we are the dynamic duo that is trying to decolonize the blockchain. Um, and what that means is we are trying to break down concepts, key ideas, and current events that are related to blockchain, Bitcoin, and crypto in accessible small bites so that anyone, we're talking about anyone, even a fifth grader, can get these concepts and make informed decisions about whether or not to invest in crypto markets. That said, I want to introduce my co-host, Maoli, who is our resident Bitcoin evangelist and a blockchain expert because he's done it, folks. So, Maoli, take it away, please. Yeah, I'm Maoli, and uh, I'm sharing with you from the sunny hills of Berkeley, where the Bitcoin research was done. And uh, I'm very envious. <laughs> I need the sun. Okay. It's not like the rest of us don't. We're not vampires, but we still got to be jealous if, if you get more sun than us. So that said, um, today we wanted to get into, we promised our listeners that we would get into how to acquire Bitcoin. Um, so there's lots of stuff going on out there in the ether where people are getting scammed on Facebook 
people are getting into these investment groups where they're telling them they're going to hold their Bitcoin for them and they see nothing that ever happens. Um, and so let's start with the really easy ways to get Bitcoin. So um, I'm going to start off by saying I live in Massachusetts. I have been in the grocery store and those Coinstar vending machines where you can drop your pennies. Your pennies and your coins that you put into Coinstar, now they allow you to purchase Bitcoin with that. So that's one place. You don't have to go and through a third party. There is also, if you have a PayPal account or a Cash App account, you can buy Bitcoin. Um, and there are Bitcoin ATMs. Um, so that is how you can go and actually purchase Bitcoin. Um, Maoli, talk to us about what you know and also the different places, <clears throat> the different types of custody. Because I know there's, um, you've mentioned to me before, self-custody versus custodial accounts. So talk to me about that because I feel like I just told people where to buy it, but I didn't tell them what kind of account they would be getting. Yeah, so there's a lot of ways to um, acquire Bitcoin. I think uh, some of them are... Um, they keep the coins for you. Some of them, you move the coins to your own wallet on your own device. Um, I think the other thing also is um, regulation in the different countries around the world determines how the exchanges operate. So a lot of people choose to just use decentralized exchanges that are not located in one specific country. That way they are not affected by those uh, rules. A lot of people in New York cannot use Coinbase, Binance, Blockchain, Bitstamp because the regulations require those exchanges to block people from New York. Uh, and around the world, there's different regulations. So I think the one that works for everybody is the decentralized exchanges like uh, holdhold.com, bisc.network, uh, Bitcoin ATMs. You put in cash and you get Bitcoin. Um, or you can sell something and get paid in Bitcoin, like openbazaar.com or bigpay.com. Whatever you sell, you receive the payments in Bitcoin. Works just like cards online. Perfect. But then there's also the centralized one, and these are for the privileged people in countries or states where there's no regulation making Bitcoin inconvenient. So you can use Coinbase.com, Binance.com, Blockchain.com, and Bitstamp.com. Those are the um, centralized exchanges for people who lived in privileged um, territories. But if regulation in your area is not favorable, you want decentralized. So BISC.network or HoldHold.com. That's really helpful. That's really helpful. So, so let's talk about a little bit about, about the custodial versus non-custodial non accounts. Account. So, so I mentioned before you can purchase on PayPal, on PayPal. Um, and, um, also and also on, on Cash, App. Um, Cash App. Cash App. Those are custodial, Those are custodial accounts, accounts, meaning that, that you cannot you take, cannot take whatever, Bitcoin whatever Bitcoin you have and actually... And actually um, um, and actually and take, actually it, take off it off of the Cash App, the cash or, app PayPal. or PayPal platform. They are housed there. I think it's the same thing with Robinhood, where you can where also you can buy also Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Um, um, so those are so custodial accounts. Account. The exchanges that Maui was referencing, whether they be decentralized or centralized, those we highly recommend that you take it off the exchange and put it in a wallet. Anyone, Anyone who is a Bitcoin, is a Bitcoin evangelist, evangelist or purist will, will tell you, you never want to leave your 
exchange, exchange. Learn how learn to use how to a digital wallet. A digital wallet. And if you have an if iPhone, have an iPhone even, better, even better, you can take you it, can off, take it of off of the exchange. Of the exchange. Um, download um, the wallet download onto the wallet your phone. Onto take your it, phone. Off, the take it off the exchange. Feed it, and, it secure. and secure it. So we will do another episode on what it means to do to have a custodial account or a self-custody account, excuse me, and what, what things you need to do to keep yourself, your 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 coin safe. We also actually have a, a few blog posts on our blog, which is um, blog.uncutlab.com, where you can go and learn about all of this. It's in the show notes also. So feel free to go there, take a look, ask questions. We do um, answer comments over there. Um, and once again, we'll put the disclaimer out there that we're not financial advisors. We're just providing educational resources. Um, but we wanted to make sure that people understood that there are places that there is no middleman between you and the coins. You don't have to pay someone to buy Bitcoin for you. You can acquire them yourself. It's all about just having knowledge and knowing where to go. That said, Molly, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, I guess... Yeah, uh, if you really uh, like this, we have other episodes coming out, some of them in video or blog form that give you just the details you need to use. Um, ex- I think the centralized exchanges sort of speak for themselves, but the decentralized ones are not as common. So you may love, I guess, um, our details about how to get Bitcoin through them. And last but not least, we want to make sure that you're aware that there are transaction fees, just like with um, stock exchanges. Oh, yeah. There are transaction fees. So before you pick an exchange um, or you pick some kind of self-custody, excuse me, or a a self-custody option, you really want to understand what are the costs. I think Coinbase is quite high when it comes to the fees. Binance is a little bit more reasonable. But you want to do that research also because that's also an additional cost that you have to incur. The wallets in general are free, but you want to do research on which ones are the most secure. And make sure that whatever you do, if you're doing self-custody, make sure you understand that you have to... um, put your money in a wallet and you have to actually secure it with a password or a seed phrase. And we'll get more into that in another episode. But for now, we want to thank you for spending these last 10 minutes with us. We wish you light and sun and rainbows and unicorns. Ain't that right, Maui? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. All right. I'm Sika. I'm talking to you from Boston. And this is Molly from Sunny Berkeley. All right. Have a good day, y'all. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Decolonizing the Blockchain, where we talk about all things crypto, blockchain, and Bitcoin. My name is Sika, and I am talking to you from the East Coast, specifically Boston, Massachusetts. Um, Now, for those of you who have never listened to Decolonizing the Blockchain, what we do here is just to break down key concepts and really try to answer some basic questions that people who don't necessarily have a background in cryptography or computer science 
and just want to just understand like the whole craze around Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Um, they just want to understand it in pretty plain language. Um, that's what we're here for. So we are a resource for those who are really trying to educate themselves about cryptocurrency in general, blockchain specifically, Bitcoin and all the other um, coins out there. So with that said, I would like to introduce my co-host, Maui. Uh, Maui is very knowledgeable about Bitcoin in general. He's worked on two exchanges, one in Ghana and one in Kenya. And he is really, really, really a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Bitcoin specifically, but blockchain in general. So with that said, Maui, where are you talking to us from today? Yeah, I'm talking to you from uh, San Francisco. Yoo-hoo! Bay Area. I need to come yeah. out and get some rice or something. <laughs> come get some sun. It's too cold over there in Boston. Oh, it's summertime. It's May. We just have pollen that we're dealing with, but that's about it. Come on now. I know. It's summer, right? Negative three degrees. <laughs> oh, come on. You guys have wind. We have a little snow. That said, um, today's topic is about cryptocurrencies. And people have been chomping at the bit. You know, Bitcoin is now kind of mainstream. And so folks want to know, how can I make money in cryptocurrency markets? And how do I do it? So we're going to talk about that today. So with that said, Maui, let's talk about the first question, which is how can I make money in crypto? What are the strategies there? Yeah, so there's generally two strategies, long-term buying and selling and short-term buying and selling. And we say buying and selling in that order. You buy at a low price, just like in a commodity, uh, and then you sell at a higher price. So if it man mangoes, avocado, you buy it one cent and you sell it higher, not lower. Um, that's how you make money. However, the short-term strategy is much more risky because it, um, it's pretty much like gambling. So the, really the only way to make money in crypto is to just buy and hold like a, a bond, hold it for more than a year at least. And historically, that performs really well for people. So let's talk a little bit about the short term because I've, I think people are saying, oh, but what do you mean buy high, sell low? So what people are doing when it comes to the short term strategy is they're day trading. And what day traders usually are, are volume traders. They usually... Um, buy a lot of something and they're making money off of um, small changes in price. Sometimes it's only a few dollars, but if you have a lot of it, you're able to make a ton of money Correct. and you're also able to lose a ton of money. Um, and so usually um, with crypto, because there are transaction fees and there are some wait times when you are trading cryptos, um, you know, we 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 will probably get into it in another um, podcast episode. But I just want to mention that when you buy Bitcoin, isn't it like a $50 transaction fee for every transaction you make on a Bitcoin? Same thing with Ethereum. Am I correct? What, when uh, I say that's that, Ethereum. Bitcoin, Bitcoin is like $5. And then okay. BNB is like $0.05. Cents. 
Yep. So some of the coins, they all have different transaction fees, but they're pretty, they, they, they're, there's, a, there's a lag time in terms of when you buy a coin, when it's quoted to you, and then the price you actually get it for. So it's not quite, it's not, it doesn't translate in the same way that it would in the stock markets. So that said, um, let's talk about how can we lose money? Cause we've already talked about it, um, in terms of like the short term, but there are people that buy and hold and basically um, still when, you know, because Bitcoin, crypto in general are volatile assets, um, you have to understand that if you're buying, you don't want to buy on a huge upswing. And number two, you also want to understand that they go through cycles, just like the stock market, where there are crashes and then there are um, uptimes. So what we see in crypto markets, we see it also in stock markets, but it's easier to predict in stock markets because of the simple fact that stock markets have been a around a longer time and it's a much more regulated asset while cryptocurrencies are not. So um, I would like to say in terms of long-term, if you are someone who's a buy and holder, Never sell your crypto. If you decide to go into crypto, never sell it when everyone else is selling off. Have some patience. Don't be emotional. Understand that it's going through a cycle just like everything else and just don't listen to the news. That's how I handle it. <laughs> Molly, what, what say you about how can I lose yeah, so, money on crypto? How yeah, so I, I think uh, one key thing you pointed out earlier was that um, a lot of the traders are doing, are doing volume trading which means that um, you competing against them, it doesn't work for you. What do I mean? So the way I've experienced it with my friends and all is you put in, say, $100 or $1,000, something with round numbers, you buy a crypto with it, and then you notice that it goes to 1,001, 1,002, 1,010, 1,050, 1,005. You're making money. So it looks like free money. So you take out some money. And then you want to do it again the next day, but now it drops, boom, to 500. You've lost your money and it doesn't recover. That's the experience of the um, small man. But for the people using volume, they have tools to like watch the charts, to watch the trajectory and everything to make sure that if they put in a million dollars, they're not even going to lose one cent. Like, and they have like uh, stop losses in place to make sure that even if the price goes down, it will like sell right away and liquidate. It's not going to lose money. But you can't do that. So when you compete against these people, like for him, 0.1%, he's made money. But for you, you have to wait till I like, get, you know, 1% or 10% because your amount is small. So you are exposed even much more to the risk than the big guy, which is why the short-term trading is just lose, lose, lose for the, for the small guy, always. Holding is the only way to avoid that. Well, it's also, uh, it, it, uh, the big guys also lose sometimes, but they can afford to lose. What we're saying is for those of us who are smaller, you know, you're you're doing crypto because you know it's a good way to like basically get some return on your investment. Um, Do it, but do it with some sense and some strategy. So understand that, you know, you want to watch your cryptos. You don't want to pull out when there's a big panic. 
Um, there's usually some force causing that panic. And you definitely want to stay away from, you know, anyone that's promising to buy your crypto from you, for you, or trade your crypto from for you. You want to make sure that you are able to hold your crypto yourself. And we'll get into strategies for actually acquiring crypto in another episode. But for today, we want to leave you with the the actual idea of, hey, you know, like, here are some strategies, here are some basic strategies. You, there are, we do have resources on our blog, which is um, in the show notes, but I'll also repeat it here. It's blog.uncutlab.com. You can go there and we have a wealth of blog articles and resources that you can access for free that teaches you about tips. It provides you tips. It also teaches you information about the different types of trades. So if you just want to know about swing trading, day trading, all of that stuff, the short-term buy and hold, you can learn it. But we personally don't engage with that and we don't promote it. So that said, we hope that you. this has been a fruitful 10 minutes. It's approximately 10 minutes you spent with us um, learning a little bit more about cryptocurrency markets and Bitcoin. And hopefully we've provided you more information to make more informed decisions with your money. That said, have a great day. My name is Sika Cedro. And this is Maudi. Thanks for spending time with us, guy. Be well. Mm-hmm.